0: Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wix Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. So, I said a few weeks back that originally the book of Ezra and Nehemiah in the original text, they were together. And it was only later that they have been separated into two books. So today we're going to continue in the book of Nehemiah. So if you want to turn there this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Jason, can you put up our timeline? Thank you. Jason is like thinking ahead of me this morning. It's, it's kind of scary. Like I think he's got a tracker on my brain or something. So this timeline will give you just sort of a rundown, so that you understand how all of this sort of fits together. Because again, Ezra and Nehemiah, same same writings, they go together. So we know that Jerusalem destroyed, uh, or Jerusalem was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and the exiles went to Babylon back at 586 BC. When we started studying in Ezra, it was King Cyrus who actually allowed the first exiles to return. They were the ones who went back, started rebuilding the temple there in Jerusalem. And if you remember, there was a time that it got stopped because people uh, had told the king that if you let this happen, like these people, they they will rebel against you. Um, And then we, we sort of took a little... Uh, We talked about Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets of that time who came in and kind of encouraged the people, get back to work. Remember, God God is letting this happen, so get back to work on that temple. And the temple was completed. And then uh, we had new kings, King uh, Xerxes and King Artaxerxes had came in. And this is actually, I threw this in here, um, the book of Esther, if you want to read in there. That happened in this time frame as well. And so then we finally finished up last week when Ezra came to Jerusalem. So they built the temple, um, and then Ezra was actually coming in to make sure that the law was being read and applied to the people. And so this is where we find ourselves today, Nehemiah coming to Jerusalem uh, to complete the wall around the city. So we had those two waves of the exiles that had came to Jerusalem, right? They built the temple, and uh, Ezra brought the law back into their lives. Now, obviously, Nehemiah was an exile who stayed behind. Remember, each time we talked about those returning of the people, it was voluntary, right? Um, and, And honestly, the ones that were voluntold were like the priest and the ones who would be working in the temple. So everybody else, it was voluntary for them to go back. And so Nehemiah obviously stayed in Babylon, right? Um, starting in uh, chapter one, let's read Nehemiah chapter one. And let me tell you, as you are reading with me on this, I want you to hear it like I hear it because I think of this like the most epic opening scene to a movie I have ever read before. Like that is just, I don't know how everybody else's brains work, but, but I see pictures, I see movies, I see, you know, I see motion when I'm reading. And for me, this feels like the opening to a movie. And I just, I feel like we're just zoomed in on Nehemiah. Chapter one, verse one. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem and they said to me things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah they are in great trouble and disgrace and the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire when I heard this I sat down and wept in fact for days I mourned fasted and prayed to the God of heaven And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Lord, this is your word today. And it's still alive. It's still active. It is still true for us today. So may we hear through these words more about who god is more about who jesus is and how this applies to us and may it change us because of who you are in jesus name amen so i don't know maybe it's just the way my brain works but i thought that is one of the best openings to a movie i've ever seen because that last line i could just envision his face just glowing and just announcing in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. It just seemed epic to me and maybe that's just how I I read through it. But what does that mean to be the king's cupbearer? His job was to taste all the food, all the drinks, anything that went to the king to eat or drink, he had to taste it first. Why? In case somebody was poisoning the king. Who wants that job, right? Like, (laughs) who grows up thinking, I want to be the cupbearer to the king, right? But it was a very important job. It was a very high-ranking job. This was not just some anybody low-level job that could come in there, right? Because the king had to be able to trust this person with his life, right? So this was a very high-ranking and very trustworthy position in the kingdom. And maybe that's why he didn't go back to Jerusalem with the other exiles. Maybe that's why, because he held such an important job that he stayed there. But it was a position, even as important as it was, because um, again, the king had to trust him. Everybody had to trust him, because Sure, it'd be easy to fake, you know, we all seen those movies, you fake it, put it in your mouth, spit it out, nobody sees it, right? Um, Of course, I was thinking, what about those slow poisonings? Like how many cupbearers died of arsenic, you know, because it was such a slow thing that happened, you know? Um, And they didn't know that. But this is a position that even though he was well trusted, he still could not speak to the king unless spoken to. That was just the, the way the order happened in the kingdom, okay? You didn't go in. Um, if you've read Esther, right? Remember, even Esther, she's like, man, I can't go in there unannounced, right? That's just how it was. So he understood what was happening, that he needed to, to talk to the king about this, but he knew, I can't just go blabbering in there to the king. That'd be like me showing up at the White House, busting through every gate and door and just running in. Well, I gotta talk to the president, right? Like he's my president, you know? Now I'm thinking I'd get tackled before I got there. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd get taken down, right? So he understood the, the result if he did this could be a severe punishment, prison, death for speaking to the king when not spoken to. And in verse 11, He said, Lord, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. In other words, if I'm going to do this, you got my back, right, Lord? (laughs) You got my back if I go in there today. Now, verse 2, although he did not return with the first exiles, he was still invested in what was happening back in Jerusalem. He still wanted to know man, what's going on? Like, you know, it's been years. Like, how is it? Tell me about the city. Like, you know, the temple, is it done? Is it, how are things going? So he was still infested, but the report that the wall around the city was still in rubble was very disturbing to him. And then we began to see uh, in there another communal prayer. So we watched Ezra. He made uh, prayers on behalf of the people, right? But this one has a different focus to it. Yes, it does talk about we've sinned, Lord, we know, please forgive us. But the focus is not on the forgiveness in this one. It's on the success of what needs to be done. So he starts with the invocation, and, and, and invocation just simply means he's crying out to God to get his attention. Hear my prayer, Lord. Have you ever started your prayers that way? Lord, are you listening? Can you hear me? And then he moved on a confession of sin. Yes, Lord, your people have sinned. And he even said, Hey, me and my family, we messed up as well. We didn't follow all the commands. He said forgive us for that and then he goes into reminding god of the promises that have been laid out right he he starts quoting moses uh time frame in there about if we're unfaithful we're going to be scattered and that's exactly what's happened he said but here was the promise you gave us if we return to you you'll call us back right still a promise we have today folks and then he ended with lord just grant me success as I approach the king. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky. Like, he, he's praying these prayers. Have you ever prayed one of these prayers and, like, you are so heartfelt and it is, like, you get done and you go, wow, I don't even know where that came from. That was a good prayer. Like, I know God must have heard that. That was a good prayer. But see, now we have this next step. I'm going to include a little bit of chapter 2 this morning. Because Nehemiah moved from prayer to practice. And that's a big, big step. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the, to the God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now there are probably four to five months in between the time of this prayer that we saw in chapter 1, to the time of putting it all into practice. And that's important to me because when I read just that prayer, it said, Lord, grant me success when? Today. And yet it took four to five months. Oh my, how we hate to wait, right? Like, God, he was was so sincere, and it's urgent, God. Like, do you hear this? It's very urgent. Like, God, do you understand how urgent this is? So could you do this today? How many of you have prayed that prayer? How many, on the other hand, you had to wait for that prayer to come to pass, right? We don't wait real well. But on this day that Nehemiah walks in to do his job, he's delivering whatever cartudery board they had back then right like I don't know and the king notices though his face facial expressions can tell a lot right like I can bite my tongue and say nothing and still say everything with my face right And so the king was reading the face and and notice he says, you know, it's not a face of being sick. This would have been important, right? Because like you could not go in as the cupbearer when you had covidical, right? Like you couldn't go in there sick because the food probably made you sick is what they were thinking. So that's probably why it was so important for the cupbearer to come in there and always be joyful and always look good and healthy, right? I'm bringing you your wine and your charcuterie board today and everything's good, king. But on this day, he read the face. And he said, man, what's got you so down? And so I love that Nehemiah, what did he first think? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, Because number one, if the king thought something was off about you, there was probably gonna be something else off about you. Right? Like you were done in that job. This is one of those jobs, there was no going higher up. You were in it for life. Like literally, your life was dependent on it. And so he was a little scared at this. It said, I was terrified. And then he told him though, this is why I'm sad. My heart is just broken. You know, my brothers, they came back, they told me about uh, Jerusalem, and, and yeah, like they built the temple and all, but things are just still a mess. And that's just not what I expected to happen. You know, I just thought everything would be good. And then, lo and behold, the king says, How can I help? How can I help you? And Nehemiah knew this was his moment. This was that moment of success he had prayed for. Now church we need to realize as we're praying you guys we've started jar number four this morning and for uh, new, new faces in here if you've not heard me say this before this is our Ebenezer jar and uh, Ebenezer means stone of help and so as we initial these rocks and we drop them in it's just us remembering God you have always been good Maybe we, we know you've done this before, and God, we're just asking this prayer. And we drop that rock in as just sort of a, a token of, here's our prayers, Lord. And we, we're saving these jars because it just reminds us, I know there's a lot of those rocks over there that are the same things you put in there this morning. Because it just hasn't come to pass. But what I'm telling you this morning, church, is you better be ready For that moment when it comes to pass. You're praying for the salvation of some of your loved ones. What if you're the vessel God uses to share the gospel with them? What if you're the one that gets to speak that life into them? But if you miss that open door and see Nehemiah knew, wow, this is the moment I've been waiting for. Four to five months later, this is the moment. And what does he do? Takes a deep breath. Just a deep, cleansing breath, right? And he shoots off a prayer just in that short little moment. Some of the most sincere prayers last as long as a deep breath. I know that so many of you hate the thought of praying in public. Like, if I said right now I need a volunteer to, to stand and pray for us, half of you are going to slink under the seas, right? Wednesday night, my group and y'all are my prayer warriors, but y'all still kind of slink when I say, okay, who wants to close us out? And Wednesday night, my husband said, I do because my recliner's waiting and I got to go. Okay, he didn't say that, but we all knew that was the intent back there, right? But do you know some of the best prayers? It's not about sounding eloquent. I like learning prayers. We, we learn the Lord's prayer, and it gives us a basis, right? But some of the best prayers can even be one word, help. You can't mess it up, because the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That means he goes between me and God, and he says, hey, this is what she was praying, but this ain't what she needs. Like, she don't know what she needs. Like, this is what and, and, and when I just say help, he says, okay, God, let me just expand. This is what's going on. <laughs> and, and maybe this is what we need to do in this situation. Like, I can't mess it up. The only way you mess up prayer is not to pray. That is the only way you can mess it up. But even then, God hears my heart. <laughs> he still knows the cry. And so he knew in that moment, like, we don't have some kind of uh, written out prayer, do we? It just says, with a prayer to the God of heaven. Give me the words, Lord. Have you ever been in that moment, church, when somebody asks you about your faith and you go, BJ's nowhere near. How do I answer this question? (laughs) You take a deep breath and say, God, give me the words. Give me the words and let your spirit do the rest. That's what Nehemiah was praying God, just give me the words to answer him, and I'm gonna let you do the rest. Now, why was Nehemiah so messed up about this broken wall? Like they've rebuilt the temple. We've, we've read about it. They partied, they were excited. Yes, God is back in this city. Look at that temple, right? But obviously, the lack of the wall around the city was a big deal, and not just for security purposes. Yes, it was a big deal for the security. So you would build a wall around a city back then to help solidify the security of that city, thus Jericho, unless God comes marching around, right? Huge walls. But it was more than that. Listen to me, church. The health of a city back then was a direct reflection of the spiritual health of that city. So they built this temple as, a, as a, a place for God to reside in. So when they built that temple, that was the statement, God lives here among his people. So in their culture, that should mean that God would then bless that city. And it should flourish, it should be good right? And so what had Nehemiah so messed up is because it wasn't. They're reporting back to him that it's not looking good, like it's still in rubble, like everything, the gates are still burned. There's no, no kind of protection going on for the city and like buildings are just still laying in ruins. It's kind of like when you go through a town after there's been some kind of disaster, right? Like we can still go through areas that have had hurricanes and you still find businesses and houses that are still in rubble from that hurricane because nobody came to rebuild it, right? And sometimes that can wipe out a city, right? And so uh, in my study, one of the quotes I found said this, it said, the restoration of the city walls meant more than security. It generated expectations. Now you gotta remember, what was the history of Jerusalem and what were they looking for, right? It generated expectations that one day their messianic king would come to Jerusalem righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey. That's from Zechariah, the prophet that's in this time frame, right? So again, they're still looking for the Messiah to come. And he's going to show up in Jerusalem. That's what the prophecy said. And so Nehemiah is like, whoa! Whoa! He can't show up with everything looking like that. Right? Like that's like me inviting you down to my house and me like cleaning it up and like right now that would be bad. That would be so bad. There is still wedding everywhere in my house. Yesterday we was I was looking for things for packing for our vacation and, and I'm in there digging and wedding stuff and you know the boys are like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm still trying to find things. And like we we found What was it, your extension cords that he thought had disappeared? And it was like Christmas for Thomas. Where did these come from? I said, the bottom of a box. I don't know, you know. You don't want to have somebody important come to your house when it's in a mess. Well, they know that the Messiah is supposed to show up in Jerusalem. We don't know when. So we got to be ready. And Nehemiah says, we're not ready. And that's what was breaking his heart. Because this is, this is what he was seeing in that time frame. Pat said, if I'm giving you a test, she is not taking it today. I said, you know, got to do a pop quiz. So we remember what we studied in Ezra. They came in, they built the temple, right? Now today we'd have a cross. They didn't know what a cross was back then, but you get the picture. They built the church, right? And then Ezra comes in with the law. Remember the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments, and the many more, 613 different laws. Okay? So they're excited. They think, that's cool. Like, we just built a building? Like, it's debt-free? We're good. We're all good. We got the law. We got the, the priest are telling us about the law every week. We're going to church like we're supposed to every week. But the report that he's getting back is that this wall that is built around the city is still broken, okay? It's still in shambles. Nobody's replaced the gates that are supposed to be there. Half of these walls, you can just step over like they're not gonna keep anybody out, maybe the bunnies, right? So that's what he is seeing. And he says this is a direct reflection though Of our people because this is the town that the Messiah is supposed to come in and like nothing is ready so he was very disturbed about this and in essence he thought the community of faith in Jerusalem had not allowed themselves to be fully shaped by God's Word because if they're listening to the law and the prophets they would know how important it was to rebuild this whole city. So he's, his thoughts on this whole thing in this culture, this health, the status of your town, remember, and, and this, this applied to any other gods, any other towns. Like This is how their mind frame worked right that if if your god is is blessing your city, then it should show in everything you walk through and drive through ever ever drove through a little town that was like dilapidated, and did you want to stop there, or did you keep going right like on one of our teen trips one time, we let the gas tank get a little too low and, and it was one of those search and find whatever next exit has a gas pump, we got to pull over kind of deal. Um, And I believe it was called Chester, Arkansas. (laughs) Is that what that little town is up north? And we pulled off at Chester and we pulled down those streets and, and it may be the best city like grant you, but when you are on a teen trip, you have a whole different frame of mind, don't you, Bo and Mandy, about the safety of your kids and, and what you're seeing, right? And so there was just this one little old gas pump when we got down there. It wasn't even a real gas station, right? And there was these old hillbilly fellows out on the, you know, and, and Thomas just looked at, and he said, "Nope, we're going to keep praying on down the interstate, <laughs> and we got back on that interstate. Why? Because everything was in shambles in that area when we pulled off. Diane, that that place we thought we were going to get a tire and we kept on driving? Because it was in shambles, right? So maybe Nehemiah was afraid. Man, if the Messiah shows up and we're not ready, what if he goes on? And this broke his heart. Do you understand? I need you to, to capture this concept of his broken heart. To the point it moved him from prayer to practice, into motion. Because I pray for you guys weekly. God, I just want to see a move. I want to see a change. But guess what? That's never going to happen until you allow your heart to be broken for what breaks God's heart. Because then you begin to see people through his eyes. Because when I look at people with my vision, that can be judgmental sometimes. That can be like, oh, I ain't giving them money because you know what they'll go use that money on and that ain't right. That's not the point. The point becomes when God asks us to give and we just obey, right? And we begin to, that last song we sang, I surrender all, God, I, I surrender everything to you. And that means that my heart starts breaking when I see people needing something. My heart starts breaking when I know the stories of that family and yes, it's not good and it fires me up sometimes, but God, you can break those chains. You can break those generational curses, right? (laughs) You know, I shared yesterday, you know, the Jimmy Buffett passing away or whatever. And I said, it's been a long time since I've been in Margaritaville, but you know, it threw me back into some old memories. And my dad's childhood friend, they were best friends all their lives, he had a sailboat and we would go sailing in Heber Springs with him. And, um, and that's sort of where my mind took off with that. Well, then later, because I had tagged Bob in that, um, and Bob has passed away. He passed away last year. And, uh, but it just, man, threw me down that memory lane. And then... Later yesterday, his son, Bob's son, had posted about his dad because, I mean, Bobby loved Jimmy Buffett. That's how I, that's how I came to know Jimmy Buffett mu- music. And uh, his son had shared about his dad's love for Jimmy Buffett and shared an article thing. And I would wrote on there who I was, and I said, hey, your dad introduced me to Jimmy Buffett music and just great times, you know. And I told him who my dad was um, because I knew he would know my dad. And uh, he was like, oh yeah, I remember your dad. And he was quite the character. That's how he said it. He was quite the character. AKA, yeah, my daddy was a mess and a lot. And, you know, he had his reputation for things. And I'm here to tell you, God breaks generational curses. You can be different than your family. You can be different than how you were 10 years ago. You can be different than the way you was yesterday. And I am so very thankful for that. I am so thankful that God breaks our hearts. And see, that's what happens. Because as a young person, I accepted Jesus, I understood, I need him to get to heaven. But in college, my heart began to break, that there was more. But God wants more out of us. He wants us to move into that practice part of things. The king gave letters. So we've seen this through Ezra, so I don't have to read this, but the king gave letters to Nehemiah so that he can, one, have safe travel as he was traveling to Jerusalem. And two, he gave letters so that, again, he could have supplies when he got there anything that he needed. Verse nine in chapter two says, uh, when I came to the governors of the province west of Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. Remember back in Ezra, we even talked about Ezra didn't accept any protection from the king. He had to pray for God to protect him." And I told you, I said, but we see over in Nehemiah, he he knows that's a blessing from God, right? Brandon gave us testimony about his house not burning down Wednesday night. That very as a former house burner person here, that could go so wrong for you. And and God put a hand on it. Right? And so Nehemiah is, is quick to give that praise that look what God did. He gave us protection even to travel with. And then verse 10 is that that cliffhanger. Again, I say, I see this in, in motion picture kind of things. And it says, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So again, all this good stuff and we get this little cliffhanger. Of man, there's already trouble stirring and he just got in town. Like sometimes, I know poor Brandon, that's what you felt like this week. I just got in town, Lord. Can I just get a break? (laughs) Right? Like, but that's just life sometimes. But as I was reading through this, I'm telling you, I think Dallas Jenkins could make another show when, you know, he gets through with the chosen. He could back up and do this one. Church. Have we moved from prayer to practice? You know, I shared earlier, it's a month of of fasting and praying, and that is so important. But we got to move beyond that. We got to move into the practice of it, applying it to our lives. You know, maybe the Israelites, they were very content. We got the building, we got the church, we got the, the word, we're all good, right? They're showing up church every time they're supposed to, it's all good. Right? They checked off all religious boxes. And if we're not careful, that can be us. We show up on Sunday. You do your readings, you, you're writing your scriptures, we do all the word stuff. Right? Church is for today, church is here uh, in the temple, and, and we have the Bible. And, and, but then, you know, I'm just wondering. If we start looking at our walls, what is family life like? What is your job like? What about your friends and associates? How are those relationships? What about just life in general? When we start looking outside of this room, what is life like? You see, the the Israelites were looking forward to the Messiah coming. So we need to make sure our city reflects our expectation that he's going to show up. Now, you and I, we know there was a lot of years in between that waiting, wasn't there? But they didn't know that. They didn't know when. When? Nobody gave them a time and a day. And, a, you know, it's not like we're, we're all preparing for the um, eclipse next year. And we know, wow, we got we to gotta do something. We got we to gotta prepare for that day, you know. We don't have a time and day. And today, we're still waiting on the Messiah. We know he's coming back. We don't know when. It could be today. It could be a hundred years from now it could be 10 years from now oh bj i think it's soon because man have you seen everything in the news yup so are you ready like you don't have to convince me i know he's coming back the point is are you ready for it are you are you letting everything we talk about on a sunday or a wednesday are you applying it into your life so it's spilling over into these areas Like, I love our children's and teens ministry, but do you know it's your responsibility to truly show them how to live the Jesus life? Are they seeing that in you? I I saw something the other day that hit me, um, because you guys know I I like technology. I I have my Bible on my phone, Bible on my iPad, and, and I carry, you know, that's always great to have. And this father, though, said... Well, in fact it was for king and country it was luke he said god convicted him about reading the bible on his phone in front of his kids said he gets up every morning he does his bible reading and and like he's doing his bible reading but he realized my kids may not know i'm reading my bible because i can have all how i don't even know how many books are on my phone and and my kindle and those kind of things right I could be reading anything. He said, so I've switched that morning time when I'm sitting there, because that's usually when the kids will filter through his house. He said, I've switched back to the paper Bible so they actually see what daddy's reading. Wow. He's letting it flow over into his life. So church, my question, we're waiting for a king today what state will he find our temple and our life in? Because guess what? He could show up on a Sunday morning, but what if he don't? (laughs) What if he shows up on Tuesday night or Friday night or Saturday night? What is he going to find? Right? And this is not a legalistic kind of thing. This is not about do this, this, and don't do this and this and this, right? This is about... Listening to the word, whether it's the word I'm preaching to you on a Sunday, whether it's the word you're studying in your own devotion time, and then letting it seep into every area of your life. And that doesn't matter the age in this room, by the way. Our kids hear it on their level. I hope it filters over in how they treat their friends. Right? Our teenagers, I hope when you hear the word or you're studying the word, it changes who you are connecting yourself and the decisions you're making for your future. Guess what, prime timers? We're not out of there either. It needs to be filtering into our life and how we live, how we conduct ourselves in every area. So maybe it's time we all examine our walls Where are the weak spots? Where are the open gates that Satan can come in anytime he wants to? And that could be our technology, but that that can be anything. That doesn't have to always be the phone, by the way. And maybe it's time for us to let God break our hearts for what breaks His. And maybe it's time for us to remember as we drop these rocks, God, help me be so aware of your spirit i'll know when that moment hits That i'll know that moment you moved and you know what i've had instances sometimes when god moves it's not even the answer i want it but i get that peace to know child i've answered let's go on sometimes we have to hear those voices too so so i i just pray that your hearts will be so sensitive this week to the spirit that you'll know. Maybe it's somebody in the grocery store. God just wants you to bless and pay it forward. Maybe it's just somebody that you need to text a little, hey, I was thinking of you today. Maybe it was dropping a card in the mail, right, Miss Diane? Some people still do that, right? Maybe it's just you, you just spend a little extra time listening to somebody to let them share the hurts they're going through. Doesn't mean you have to fix it. Doesn't mean you have to share how to fix it. They just want to be heard sometimes. They just want to be heard. Stand with me this morning, church family. I feel like Nehemiah is one of those stories maybe some of us have heard so many times and maybe you already knew the direction my sermon was going before I got there. But I believe God wants to speak in our hearts this morning. I believe every person in here, God wants to speak and move. He wants us begin to get beyond this walls and and, and to move beyond just praying about things and and move into action on things. He wants us to to change. He wants us not just for us to change, but to be, be able to be a vessel to use for others. Oh, but pastor, I'm so broken. Yep, that's the best vessel God can use. Hmm. Because we understand the brokenness of others when we know our own brokenness. Father, we come today. And I just pray that our hearts are still in this moment. I pray that our ears are listening in this moment. And God, I'm just praying right now over the people here today and who may be online that, God, you break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, I thank you for, for every school pack we put together. But do we understand that these packs are going to kids and in some areas of the world? They couldn't even afford those simple school supplies we take for granted. And that for some of those kids, this will be like Christmas to get those supplies. Do we understand? (laughs) As we begin to prepare to take an alabaster offering this month, the things that we so take for granted, this building, this air-conditioned, Lord, some places don't have a place to meet. And so we pray for every cent given, even the smallest, that it will go forth into the kingdom to supply the things you need. Maybe that is a church for a meeting place. Maybe that's a parsonage for a pastor. Maybe it's a district center somewhere. Whatever the need, Lord. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, as we leave here, uh, so many of us, we have family plans this weekend, but let us not overlook those around us. Let us see through the fake smiles on somebody's face. Just as the king was so attentive to Nehemiah's face, may we actually look at the faces of people we encounter this week. And may we see them with your heart, Lord. And may we love them as you love them. And God, may we give you the praise for all that is good. God, I pray as we do leave this place, It is a a crazy weekend, a lot of crazy travel, people out and about. And Lord, I just pray safety over your people. But God, I just pray that nobody leaves here without knowing you today. And then may we carry that to others. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. And even when we feel the furthest from him, there are people sitting in this room, Lord. They don't feel connected to you at all. But we still have the same promise that when we surrender, you call us home. And home is what we're really looking for. Mm, Speak to the hearts this morning, Lord. Somebody needs to know you love them just as they are. Broken, still in a mess, but God loves you just as you are. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, for your goodness. And may we leave this place, and may people know we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, have a beautiful Labor Day weekend, and go be a blessing to others because you are blessed. Have a great holiday. Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved.